the wolf's bloodline must be severed. The last remaining werewolf must be destroyed. It's you, David. These days, horror and comedy are no stranger to each other with recent films such as Bodies, 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 Freaky, and the Happy Death Day series. But in the early 80s, the blending of the two genres was practically unheard of. At the time, audiences were flocking to the theaters to get their thriller fix with mass killers and an unhinged man suffering from severe cabin fever. Enter John Landis, who had already established himself as a successful comedic director with the Blues Brothers and Animal House to change up the formula with 1981's An American Werewolf in London. Today, it's widely regarded as the best werewolf film ever made, and Landis himself calls it his masterpiece. But getting the film made was nowhere easy as he had hoped. Grab your best flannel shirt and keep clear of the moors as we find out what the f happened to this horror movie. The film tells the story of Jack and David, two American backpackers traveling the English countryside who are brutally attacked by a wolf. It's a simple premise, yet an effective one. But I'm not here to give you the beat-by-beat -beat plot of the story. If you haven't seen this film, I urge you to check it out. The earliest idea of the film started in 1969, while a then 18-year-old John Landis was working as an uncredited production assistant and assistant director on the film Kelly's Heroes. While filming in Yugoslavia, Landis was being driven to the set when he witnessed a ritualistic gypsy funeral. The deceased man was buried feet first while wrapped in garlic and rosaries to prevent him from rising from the grave. Thinking of how ridiculous it would be to communicate with a corpse, he immediately went to work on a screenplay. However, his horror screenplay would not focus on zombies or any types of serial killers, as he wanted the audience to really want to suspend disbelief. Ultimately, he settled on werewolves, since every country has some sort of man-beast story. While the screenplay did lead to many jobs going forward, it was ultimately shelved for over a decade. Everyone he showed it to either thought it was too funny to be scary or too scary to be funny. At 21, Landis made his directorial debut with the film Schlock, a parody film inspired by 1950s monster movies. It was on this film he first worked with special effects creator Rick Baker, who designed the gorilla suit worn by the director in the film. That led to the discussion of his next film about a werewolf. Shot in the summer of 1971, the film would have trouble finding a studio interested in releasing it. Schlock eventually caught the attention of the late, great Johnny Carson, who loved the film and invited Landis to the show. After showing clips of the film, it was released theatrically, but it certainly wasn't a moneymaker. While his next hopeful film wasn't made right away, Schlock gained a cult following and paved the way for him to direct widely received comedies throughout the 70s. After delivering two major hits for Universal, the studio execs finally agreed to give an American werewolf in London the green light. Thrilled to finally have the budget secured, Landis made a phone call to Baker to tell him the good news of getting the band back together. However, so much time had passed since the initial conversation on Schlock that Rick Baker grew impatient and decided to lend his special effects expertise to another werewolf film, beginning production called The Howling. The exchange between the two became a little hairy, to say the least. And ultimately, Baker parted ways on The Howling, leaving his protege, Rob Bottin, in charge. When it came to the film's casting, the execs at Universal pushed for Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi for the roles of David Kessler and Jack Goodman, since they were fresh off the Blues Brothers. But Landis urged for unknowns. The lead role of David eventually went to Dr. Pepper commercial star and one-hit disco wonder for the song Making It, David Naughton, while Griffin Dunn was cast as his best friend with the unfortunate fate, Jack. Rounding out the main cast are Logan's run, Jenny Auguter as Nurse Alex Price, Jack's love interest, and John Woodvine as Dr. J.S. Hirsch. 
With the cast almost complete, Landis ran into another issue with Union. He wanted to show the cultural diversity of London in real life. Still, he wouldn't take no for an answer and kept fighting until he got what he wanted. But the issues didn't stop there. You're watching a what the f happened to episode after all. Well, London was chosen as the setting for the film because of inspiration from gothic horror classics. It was also chosen because filming in the United Kingdom offered a huge tax break. Careful measures were taken in order to film in London, and one of the requirements were to have four working permits for Landis, Baker, Naughton, and Dunn. Well, three of them were easily obtained, Griffin Dunn was originally denied a permit as the actors' union wanted an American actor who already resided there. Standing his ground to his casting decisions, Landis threatened to move the location to Paris and altered the screenplay based on the new setting. To show how serious he was, he began scouting new locations in France. The tactics worked and Dunn was given his permit. 26 years later, we would eventually see what an American werewolf in Paris would look like. And, well, it had a kick-ass soundtrack at least. Filming took place between February and March of 1981, beginning around the Black Mountains in Wales. The winter months were chosen to give the film the dreary look Landis was going for. This was proven to be difficult, especially for the actors who work outside in freezing temperatures. David Naughton took most of the beating, however, having to run naked through the woods in a scene where he's hunting a deer. With the weather being unpredictable, Landis had a vision, even if it meant to cause the actors discomfort. To tally up so far, that's issues with the actors union, the UK, effects maestro Rick Baker, and that damn mother nature herself. On some days, it would rain, sleet, snow, and bright sunshine all on the same day. So rain machines were brought in, which further added to the difficulties to the cast. It was so cold that at times the rain machines would freeze up. Poor guys, but it's all for the art, am I right? According to Rick Baker, one of the main reasons for becoming a special effects artist was the Lon Chaney Jr. film, The Wolfman. While designing the look of the werewolf for this film, he took inspiration from the classic Universal picture and had the monster on two legs. This would lead to yet another disagreement between the two artists as Landis wanted his monster to be a four-legged demon from hell. For reference, Baker based his design off his dog, Bosco, George Costanza's ATM code. He spent months coming up with the perfect design on how to maneuver the beast and the makeup effects applied to the actors. On the first day of makeup tests for Griffin Dunn, the actor was so horrified about how realistic the torn flesh on his face looked, he was afraid that no one would even look at him. While the look may be fun for the viewer, it affected his emotional state to see what his own mortality could look like. As for David Naughton's makeup, it took about 10 hours sitting still for makeup and prosthetics, to which he described as a long flight that never goes anywhere. The werewolf transformation is what the film is known for. Originally conceived as an on-screen transformation with no cuts, techniques were used which have never been done before. Landis thought the idea of someone sitting normal in a chair while their body morphs was absurd, and he really wanted to show the pain. To that effect, it worked. One person who was displeased with the actual filming was Baker himself. After all those months designing and working on contraptions with his crew, only seconds were shot during each transformation. It wasn't until he saw the film at the theater when the audience cheered during this scene where he felt that all of the hard work actually had paid off. The climax of the film takes place in London's 
Piccadilly Circus, a popular and heavily crowded public space in the West End. Before Werewolf, it had been more than 15 years since anything was allowed to film there. But did that stop Landis's foot from standing firm on the ground? You already know that answer. Having already had experience with the police filming in the busy streets of Chicago for the Blues Brothers, he felt he could persuade the London police as well. He gathered 300 police officers to a private screening of the Blues Brothers. After the free screening, he was allowed to have streets blocked off for a certain amount of time. To get the shots perfect, he recreated the entire area on a stage and rehearse the rampage. In this scene, we also get a cameo from the director himself performing a stunt where a car knocks him through a glass window. Take that, Tom Cruise. As many horror films go, the film had trouble with the good old MPAA. This meant in order to secure an R rating, certain scenes had to be trimmed down or taken out completely, like a piece of toast falling out of Griffin Dunn's throat, a group of homeless men getting slaughtered, as well as the sex scenes. Speaking of sex scenes, one of the first things shot was the fictional pornographic film within the film, See You Next Wednesday, a title seen in most of the director's movies. When the script was first written, the movie shown was supposed to be a cartoon, as those were the types of films shown in the 70s at Piccadilly Circus. But when Landis arrived in the 80s, he noticed the theaters stopped showing children's movies and replaced them with adult films. To continue his trend on reflecting the true culture of the time, he changed his script to include the fictional movie. As for David Naughton, he was let go from Dr. Pepper because of his nudity in the film, not just the transformation scene. I mean, this dude is all kinds of naked throughout the whole thing. Just like his hit song says, he's solid gold and he's got the goods. As a joke, at the end of filming, the cast and crew gathered together to sing his popular Be A Pepper song, but replaced Dr. Pepper with Werewolf to make him feel better about his recent job loss. That's nice. In the end, John Landis's vision of blending horror and comedy paid off. An American Werewolf in London opened on August 21st, 1981, where it would grow 62 million worldwide on a budget close to 6 million becoming the highest grossing horror film of the year. Rick Baker's effects on the film earned him his first Oscar, which was also the first year for that category. Three other werewolf films came out that year with The Howling, Wolfen, and Larry Cohen's Full Moon High, but none were a match to its success. Its balance between the two genres would help shape the horror films we see today, but the road getting there wasn't easy. Just like the characters of Jack and David, the production may have veered off the path, but instead of a tragic ending from the movie, we got a near-perfect film, which will be cherished for many generations. And that's exactly what the f*** happened.